you have found us again. It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for taking the time with us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. Technical support is provided by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good morning. Good good, good morning. Good afternoon, Fred. <laughs> One of those. So One of we those. Are, we are happy to have with us someone who's been making headlines this week, the CEO of Autonomy, Scott Painter. Hi, Scott. Hi, Fred. How are you? Thanks for having me. Scott, you have quite a background in the automotive space as founder of CarsDirect.com, really launching internet car sales. You founded True Car and took it public. In 2016, you founded FAIR, a vehicle subscription company. And then a couple of years ago, Autonomy, a completely digital all-in-one electric vehicle subscription app. Now, despite the name, you aren't in the autonomous vehicle space yet. You can explain the name in a minute. I don't think at least. And this week you announced the company is placing a $1.2 billion order for 23,000 electric vehicles with 17 different car makers. Tell us more about the company and your mission. Sure, well, we founded Autonomy to make buying and owning an electric car easier and cheaper and actually a little bit faster than many of the other ways that you would get some of these cars. You know, I think great entrepreneurs and great companies solve a particular problem. What I've spent most of my adult life doing is trying to make buying and owning a car easier using technology. Um, you know, Cars Direct was really about putting an upfront price on a car on the internet in the first place. Obviously, today, if you're looking to buy a car, you go to the web and we all see those prices. That's really the starting gun for that transparency. And then at True Car, we published what everybody else paid for their car. And it really, you know, helped a first-time car buyer know what to pay. And it really informed everybody of what that market clearing price is. And today we work in a very transparent market where consumers and dealers both find each other online very easily. But what we're doing at Autonomy is a little bit different. We've actually taken on the complexity of how you're gonna pay for your car because when cars go above about a $30,000 price point, we don't pay cash for the car. We all tend to either get a car loan or a car lease. And so, what we've really focused on with subscriptions is how can we make this truly 100% digital? And the unique thing about a subscription is we're not selling you a car. Um, and because we're not selling you a car, we don't have any of the gnarly sort of disclosures and things that have to go along with traditional auto retail. And that's a 50 state problem. But one of the other really cool attributes of a subscription is we're not lending you money. And as such, it doesn't show up on your credit report as a loan. It leaves available in a lending or borrowing capacity for our subscribers. But you can also pay for this with your credit card. Uh, you cannot pay a traditional car loan or a car lease with a credit card. So our mission at Autonomy is to accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles by making it cheaper and easier and faster. And uh, that's really what we're focused on. We've been around now for um, you know, about six months in the marketplace. We launched to consumers in California in January. Um, we're about to expand nationally with this order. So tell us uh, why the name Autonomy? <laughs> well, 
you know, when you're starting a company, you really want to have a name that really reflects what it is that you're trying to do. Autonomy is a synonym for freedom. And so really what we're trying to do is give people the ability to have flexible access to an electric vehicle in a way that does really reflect that notion. I think coming out of a pandemic, we all want the freedom to get around and go where we want more than ever before. You know, today, three out of four people need a car to get to work, but freedom, I, I know that when I, you know, turned 17, I got my own car because I wanted to, you know, be able to get out of the house. And, you know, I, I joined the army at a pretty young age, but what I drove and getting a car was really symbolic of, you know, me growing up and getting freedom. And I think, you know, certainly here in Southern California, where I'm from, we sort of think of our cars as our avatar. You know, they, they sort of reflect a little bit about who we are. And so the autonomy brand um, is something that was owned for many years by Hewlett Packard. It was a software company. Um, they sold that software company about 15 years ago to a uh, British firm called Microfocus. Uh, when Hewlett Packard builds a brand, they tend to do it right. They owned not only autonomy.com, but about 25 country subdomains. Um, they also trademarked the name and got trademark awards and applications in just as about as many countries. Um, we were able to buy the .com extension, all of those domains, and what was really a brand or IP acquisition that gave us a platform globally to be able to have a protected brand name. We also have 1-800-AUTONOMY, so customers who want to learn about us can go to autonomy.com call 1-800-AUTONOMY. Uh, we're in the App Store. We're in the Android App Store. So uh, now it's pretty ubiquitous. But, um, I, you know, I've, I've had a long history of creating brands that give people the comfort of knowing that they're going to be dealt with fairly and, and honestly, whether it's TrueCar or Fair.com or Cars Direct. These were all Clarion brands that really did attract customers for a lower customer acquisition cost. And even though Autonomy's only been in the public domain for about six months as a uh, you know electric vehicle subscription business. We've already got a list of customers um, on a wait list for cars. We've got a very clear demand pipeline. Uh, we're, we're you know about five times more efficient at finding customers than a traditional car dealer or a retailer. Yeah, it's it's uh, congratulations on the name and congratulations on the branding and and I guess many of us. Uh, Many of us know that 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 is really important in terms of uh, of converting and getting customers and so on, and it, it it's it's good to do that. <laughs> just we come at it a little bit different. We're trying to provide mobility, or <clears throat> you know, not just the vehicle, but just the mobility piece. And of course, uh, you know, really struck with your concept of uh, of going out there and doing the doing the upfront acquisition, and then doing then then the redistribution of the product. In a sense, uh, you know, uh, if in fact those of us that are working on trying to get the um, the um, the code to work uh, to actually do the driving, uh, then in some sense the autonomy brand instead of instead of coming with a vehicle, maybe you're you're coming with just the mobility and and going down even further down on let's say on the food chain type of thing with respect to that. And 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 dealing with the fleets in terms of of just making it available. Why people really want any of these vehicles is just, I guess, yes. I, I like to have mine in my driveway, and and you know, so my neighbors say, "Hey, Kornhauser, look, no, not really. <laughs> I really don't do that." But but um, 
but basically having the, the mobility available to, to one, which is really okay. the freedom that you talk about. Absolutely. That's, that's what folks want. That, that, you know, just at a drop to be able to, whenever you want to do it, go do it. Yeah. I think that, you know, modern mobility and modern ownership looks a little different than we used to think of it. You know, right. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've got young children. Um, my oldest is just, um, you know, turning 20 and, the idea of telling my kid to go into soul crushing debt to be able to get into a car because he's going to pay the worst interest rate out of anybody right, right, right. in the job market um, is really sort of a, a bad bit of financial advice. And so I think that what we have done is really looked at the experience of buying and owning a car and what we can do to make that a little bit easier. We also are doing it at a very interesting moment in history where there's currently 300 million cars on American roads. Right. Less than 2 million of those cars are electric cars. Right. Oh, and yeah. as excited as we are about the new car business, you know, we're only going to make a million electric cars this year out of 16 million rough justice total being produced here in the U.S. The used car market has a higher velocity, about five times higher. So there's going to be structural scarcity for used electric cars for the long you know, for the long term here, we, we think of it as structural scarcity and structural scarcity as a big buyer of electric cars as an asset class, we think is a good thing because right. scarcity is ultimately what drives the future value of a thing. Um, right. Supply and what we all heard in sort of Econ 101 is, is really true. It, it, it is what is currently driving used car valuations very high. And so we are um, very aware that the factory that makes used cars used electric cars is the new car factory three years ago. So right. we're buying a, a, you know, a new electric car today. We're thinking about who else is making those cars and how big is that market going to be in the future? So we're making a big bet. Um, there's no question, but this is a structured asset finance business. And, you know, a lot of people say, you know, how, how do you go ahead and make a billion dollar order as a startup? It turns out that there is a structured asset finance business that's very robust in America today. My partner, a guy named George Bauer, George Bauer is the founding CEO of Mercedes Credit Corporation, the CFO of Freightliner, brought truck leasing to the U.S. market, the founding CEO of BMW Financial Services, mm -hmm. built BMW and Mercedes into global, you know, captive auto finance companies, financing millions of cars, tens of billions of dollars of assets under management. And even though we started FAIR, which was the first used vehicle leasing business, as a startup, we raised a couple billion dollars of debt and equity. So it is there. You've got to have a good business model. You got to show you know how to operate these businesses. What we really had to build first was a brand. And we had to put our product offering into the marketplace. And given the fact that we've already been able to this year alone, see about 40,000 app installs, about 10% of those customers make it paying reservation. We've got a good demand list. We've got to go out now and get that supply. What we wanted to see is that, is this a profitable enterprise, just given the cost of capital and the asset that we're buying. And it turns out that what we've been able to do in the first six months of this year is really proof concept. We've been focused exclusively on Tesla. The Tesla Model 3, in a lot of respects, is sort of this generation's mm -hmm. Prius. Mm -hmm. It is the most mass-produced electric vehicle at scale. Last right. year, they produced really 600,000 Model 3s alone. This year, they're right. going to produce closer to 800,000 altogether. So we believe that's a good asset to own. We just expanded into the Model Y. So obviously, Tesla has not just the Model S, the Model X, the Model 3, the Model Y. They've got the road, the Roadster and the Cybertruck coming. <laughs> we'll ultimately expand that whole lineup. Yeah. But um, 
you know, for, for us, it, it's really about, can we make this easier? And um, because you're not going into debt, you don't have to worry about an interest rate. It really comes down to what's the monthly payment. If you wanted to go out and get a car loan for my 20 year old on a $50,000 car, it's going to cost him close to $1,700 a month, 10% down, and you got to pay tax. You don't have to pay tax on a subscription up front. You pay it monthly. And so, you know, our entry-level product has you in the product for $490 a month. It's just dollar for dollar, less money out of pocket. And we can do that because we intend to own the car for between five and eight years. And instead of trying to finance one customer, we're financing the car over five or six customers over its useful life. Let, let me not jump in, uh, you know. I mean, I'm even more excited about 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 your concept than maybe you are. Um, not to not to suggest that, but 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 really, if you if you look if you look at the at the Teslas or some of these cars, uh, they're in fact you know computers, and in fact they really are going to get better over time, which is completely different than what's happened with the car business in the past. Why? Because, you know, the over-the-air over updating of the, of the software and firmware on the vehicle actually makes it better. And when you talk about the, the 16 to 25-year-olds, it, it's not really the, to me, it, it is the interest rate that they have to pay. It's also the insurance rate that they have to pay. And if you look at, at least, my personal belief and what I talk to the insurance industry about with respect to these things is in fact, uh, the systems that are in these cars actually are the, their biggest benefit in terms of crash avoidance, uh, which they do do instead of just crash mitigation is for the worst drivers, the, the, the highest risk drivers who are what? The 16 to 25 year olds. And in sure. fact, what they do is actually allow the interest rates, the, the insurance rates to those entities to be even lower than that what would be without those things. So in fact, the technology that is built in and the technology that is in fact going to be into those, the improvement in the software part of those pieces in the coming years actually makes them even better at that. So if you look at, you know, your lifespan of, of the vehicle, you know, being whatever, five, seven years and so on, it's not that the thing is depreciating back down to zero. It's in fact depreciating to a level that really doesn't do that. Uh, you know, there are issues with respect to degrading the batteries and so on that, that still need to be done, dealt with. But if you look at, at, at both the comfort, convenience, um, uh, and uh, the, the safety insurance implications over time that are really more software dependent than, than the hardware that's already on there that really doesn't degrade. You have an, even another bump coming in helping your business. It, just, just, uh, yeah, I know you know that, but uh, you know. Alan, you, you, you put so many issues on the table. Let me unpack a couple of them just okay. because they're all right? What you're talking about is the fact that as cars become more electric, they're also becoming more autonomous, more connected, more advanced. And right. certainly as cars become more advanced, the way that autonomous technology is really going to affect safety is that our cars are gonna be able to park themselves. They're going to be able to monitor their speed to not back, you know, back end into other yeah. cars. Yeah, There's yeah. a driver assistance that's not even full autonomy that's going yeah. to reduce sort of insurance claims. I think that, you know, in our case, um, for example, we're going to offer something that's totally novel. Um, we're going for 
episodic daily auto insurance. These are fully connected cars. We know when they're driven and when they're not. One of the biggest barriers to entry we still believe is affordability. And insurance is about 25% of the cost of operating a vehicle. We can't put a car on on, on public roads without insurance. The way we launched our product here in California in January was that like every other lessee, you got to put your car that you're driving from us on your auto insurance policy. That has been the status quo on the 17th of August, we're announcing month to month auto insurance, but what we're developing to deploy by the end of the year is episodic daily auto insurance, because if you don't drive the car, we're not gonna charge you for insurance for the day. And we'll charge you three, five or $7 a day for insurance. And while that might be expensive auto insurance, if you add it and drive the car every single day, if you wanna curtail your insurance expense and you wanna be a little bit more on the budget, don't drive the car. Um, that car then fits onto our garage policy for comp and collision, and we don't have to pay liability, which is the most expensive part of personal auto insurance. So I think, again, there are just so many advantages that get unlocked with these technologies that nobody's even contemplating today. Yes, the car is going to be safer. Yes, insurance rates are going to come down. You're going to have all sorts of new ways to insure the car that just you never saw before. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's the beauty of it, because you're going to know that. You're, you're, you're going to know that and, and be able to be ahead of, of, that, of that wave crest and know it, as opposed to the, the insurance entities that are outside of that having to do with their auditors go back and wait for the data to come in. You're, you're going to be right there with it. And if this stuff does work, which, of course, some of us believe that it will work and it does work now, that, in fact, you're there better knowing, uh, having a much better way to anticipate what your expected liabilities are, for, which then allows you to price that better. And therefore, you know, is every opportunity for you. So, so your, your view of going in there and, and, and doing the insurance as part of that, as opposed to, hey, you just go with the traditional insurance and who knows what, you know, whatever, two years late in terms of the data that they're basing any, any of their stuff on. I mean, I, it's, yeah. it's an enormous opportunity for you, I think. But, you know, that's... And, um, you know, I think one of the things that really matters at the end of the day is what's the residual or asset value over time. One of the cool things that's emerged with electric cars is wait lists. Um, We've not had wait lists on anything but really high end supercars or really low production volume vehicles in the past. But these wait lists are really good reflections of consumer demand. They also have real money attached to them. And we can look across all these different OEMs and we can see whose cars are selling out quickly and what those wait lists look like. The Hummer EV, for example, sold two years of production out in 30 minutes. Uh, Now, while they have small production numbers, that car is anecdotally trading in the aftermarket for three times its original MSRP because there's just not enough of them out there. So those kinds of things to us are super important. Today, we have just under a thousand cars here in California. We've paid $40 million for those cars they're worth $52 million. So in under six months, we've already got $12 million of positive equity in our fleet. Um, And while we depreciate cars on our books and we don't bake that $12 million positive equity double bottom line into our profit expectation, it certainly isn't going to hurt. Right. Does it make sense for you to be looking at uh, mobility as a service down the road as well as these vehicles evolve, especially? I think that's what we're, we're heading towards, of course. I think mobility is going to be the full range of 
how we intend to use a vehicle, whether it is a loan, a lease, a subscription, a car share, a rental, a scooter, it doesn't really matter. You're going to be able to get access to a whole fleet of cars. What we do think is a knock-on to subscriptions is completely breakable leases and completely dynamic pricing based on your loans. Because if the cars are holding their value ahead of standard depreciation curves, you do not need a fixed-term financial securitization to finance that asset. Mm -hmm. If you think about what really goes into financing the $10 trillion of global car sales, it is this term-based financial depreciation model around really financing these assets and understanding how to do that by looking backwards historically. I think all bets are off. When you go to a market where we right now today are making less than 2% of the cars on planet Earth as electric cars, and I don't care whether it's McKinsey or Bain or PwC, pick your favorite um, consulting firm or you know futurist, we're heading to a, a place where 50 60, 70% of cars made are going to be electric. And that means that on planet Earth, we make currently 85 million non-electric cars a year. You got 1.6 billion non-electric cars in the used car park globally. We are going to be producing tens of millions of electric cars. Those cars are not likely going to depreciate the same way for all the reasons we've discussed. It, it really introduces the possibility of financing the asset class completely differently. I think modern ownership isn't going to be debt oriented. It's going to be much more consumer friendly. It's going to be much more dynamic. If you need a car based on whether you're a college student or you're in the military and then you graduate or you go on deployment or you move cities or you start a family and need a different type of car, I think how we all utilize cars can be done much more efficiently with very dynamic forms of financing and subscriptions are really the beginning of that, that process. I wanted to tell you the thing, one of the things that, uh, that we've advocated and been involved with here in the state of New Jersey in, in particular is the idea of providing mobility to people who don't have mobility, whether for a variety of reasons, economic or physical reasons, age reasons, um, and providing a service to people through kiosks, that, that kind of thing, and having vehicles that are autonomous eventually provide that mobility. Is that the kind of thing you would be looking at down the road? Well, let me just give you a sort of a peek into some of the conversations we're having. So we generate roughly $750 to $800 a month in revenue on average per subscriber. You get to choose your monthly payment with us. You, you can either choose $490 a month and about $5,000 down, or you can choose $1,000 a month and $1,000 down. Some people want to pay more up front. Others want to pay less up front. It just really comes down to personal preference. It turns out that people who have got a higher FICO, better liquidity, and more income tend to choose the less up front, more a month. But at the end of the day, as a value added, we're looking at giving our, our subscribers a certain number of Lyft or Uber minutes that come with their subscription. What that does is it immediately gives them the ability to know that they can drive their own car that's in their driveway to the airport. They can get out of the airplane at the you know, airport they're arriving to, get into an Uber, and it doesn't change their overall mobility expense. So I think that figuring out ways that we can straddle these different forms of mobility is a really great way of making mobility a service. I, I think the car as a service is really step one with um, subscriptions, but mobility as a service is about different modalities and how you connect the dots. 
Correct. I mean, I think that's sort of the way, the way we look. We also look at it, and uh, and of course we're we're really um, uh, infatuated to, to see your announcement, and and I think it's you know it just seems to to be that that you've decided, hey, uh, we're just doing it, and and we're going to go do it, and in fact, uh, you know, for, for the way you've described it, look, <laughs> hey, um, this is um, this is kind of easy almost. Well, I don't think it's easy. I think um, the real moat in this business is the brand, obviously, being yeah. able to communicate confidently customers so they have the confidence of doing this and trusting who right, we are. Right. You know, $750 to $1,000 a month is a big piece of your overall you know, wallet. Um, it's what the average customer is spending on mobility today. But that's that's what we're going after is trying to solve that that part of it. So having a good brand, having good brand builders, good technologists, people who know how to do what we're doing matters. But the other big moat in this business is I got to go out and borrow about a billion dollars this month to pay for all these cars. That is not something that every young startup can go do. It right. does require people like George Bauer and people right. who are yeah. been doing this for their entire career. We've got those relationships. It's not impossible, but it is not easy uh, by any stretch. And the real premise, the, the thesis in our business is at an institutional level, this is a good asset to own because the right. scarce is going to be there structurally and they're very durable. They're reliable. I mean, you know, all of these cars, for example, come with an eight year bumper to bumper plus battery warranty. That means that we're going to be very confident about deploying that car for eight years. But I'll tell you what, when that battery warranty comes off year nine, we're going to we're going to defleet those cars. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. And, and that's kind of that's the real fundamental that's really the, the the thing that's supporting this, and it's it's good to hear it. So, do you jump to the head of the line in ordering these when you order in that kind of volume? Uh, I mean, you read different things like Tesla; everybody's treated the same, et cetera. Well, you know, I, I've been pretty famously an advisor to Tesla, and I'm a friend of Elon's, and uh, I can tell you that um, if you know him. Um, you should never expect a discount and you're not going to expect to be treated yeah. differently because you're, in fact, um, it's a real meritocracy. We've got to earn our stripes with Tesla, just like anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, the question I got asked most when we launched was, what was the special deal? Did you jump the line? And the answer is no, we didn't. Uh, we're paying retail for the cars. And that retail price, by the way, in, in 2022 has gone up by almost 18%. Right. So it's, you know, it's sort of tracked from 45 up to about 49 right now. We, we absorb that cost. And that definitely is something that we will ultimately have to pass on to our customer in the same way that higher and higher interest rates will get passed on. And then secondly, when we first started with Tesla, I mean, obviously, you got to roll your first car. We, we announced autonomy at January 20th, and we rolled our first subscriber February 1st. We did that by calling Tesla and, and putting in a request for 50 cars. We are not a rental car company. We do not want to have a big fleet of cars or a big garage filled with Teslas waiting for customers to come and order them. What we need is a customer order, a demand list, and then we order the car so that as soon as we get it, we put it into subscription service. We operate like a mobility REIT where we want to deploy capital to buy cars to generate revenue. That is exactly how this business has to work. There cannot be a utilization curve on a large fleet of cars that aren't being deployed. So for us, that um, request to Tesla looked a little different than people would expect. Tesla allows customers to withdraw their reservation up and until the day of delivery. But those customers have configured the car for the color, battery combination, 
a tire and wheel combination that they want. So what we told Tesla at the outset was, we'll buy whatever color, whatever tire and wheel combination, whatever battery package you have, and we'll even buy new or used. That, that was a pretty odd order. And so what we have been seeing at this point is all new cars. Um, we are expecting that as we get into a scaling moment here, we will be buying late model, lightly used, lease returns. And those are perfect cars for subscription because our duration is a lot shorter. And, you know, there, there is a, a much different sort of expectation of in terms of that we are not doing subscriptions to order, for example. We're not saying go in and configure your car and we'll go ahead and get you a brand new one. That's not the value proposition. The value proposition is cheaper, faster, easier. And so as we grow here, we expect that we'll start to see some lease returns coming into the fleet. Um, certainly as subscribers re return their car, that's effectively a used car. And so you're not necessarily going to get a car that you're ripping the plastic off of the, you know, the dashboard and it's brand new every time. Um, but as a result of that, we've stayed well within Tesla's production envelope. They're going to produce nearly 1.5 million Model 3 plus Model Ys this year alone. We're looking to get about 10,000 cars. So for us, we're such a small percentage of their overall production. I don't think that we, we present any kind of a supply constraint uh, or a challenge to them. This order to go to 23,000 cars is really to diversify and give our customers more choice. And you know, when we go into a, a lower cap cost car like the Chevy Bolt, getting to a monthly payment that's under $300 is a pretty exciting thing to offer that side of the market. Being able to get a product that's maybe a little bit more expensive, like a Hummer EV, where you've got a hundred plus thousand dollar cap cost. That's going to be a very expensive car to finance for the average consumer. A near prime customer is going to be spending 2,500 to 3,000 a month to finance that car. They're going to be spending less than 2,000 a month to subscribe to that car. And they're going to avoid the commitment. And we're also finding a lot of people who have range anxiety, battery concerns, charging infrastructure concerns. This is a great way for them to give it a, give it a try, see if it works for them and see if they're comfortable. So what, what's, your minimum, what's your minimum time in terms of the first subscription? Is, is it really just a month or, or what do you, or what's the range? What, what yeah, are you so, looking at? So, I mean, the reason why I ask that is, is there is so much anxiety about the vehicle, uh, giving the opportunity for people to try it. Well, so see that the anxiety is really, you know, not well-founded. Is yes, an enormous opportunity. Whereas you go in to buy one, the, the, the amount, the amount of commitment you now need to do to that, to, to that, yeah. is like uh, cut it out. You know, I'm going to give an unusual sort of uh, shout Good. out for Hero. Um, yeah. If you just want to go drive the car for the weekend, yeah, go rent the car. We do not want to out hurts hurts. Um, we we don't have the infrastructure. We want to buy the garages. We don't want to have the cars yeah. at the red. Yep. Um, you know, Hertz placed a 100,000 car order last September. Yep. Um, they, they are making a different bet with a different business model. Right. And, you know, the average price of a uh, daily rental for a Model 3 from Hertz is over $100 a day. Yep. If you look at our cost, it's $20 a day. Yeah. So we require a three month minimum. Okay. Um, All right. And okay. Go over three months, it's month to month. But yep. anecdotally, we've had a couple of customers take our car, pay the three-month minimum, 
because yeah. the three month minimum with us is less than, <laughs> than the one month rental with Hertz. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, you, you've you've addressed that issue, but that that is that that is, and then I would suspect. Uh, a substantial issue with respect to someone and, and i know i know once i i got i got stuck in an airport and had to rent a car and 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 they said actually the cheapest car to rent was a was an electric car and i said no 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 i don't even want to go there come on i i you know i don't even want i've whatever yes i've driven them but whatever uh, but anyway go. how fast does your nationwide uh, rollout happen yeah. and is it going to region by region what what can we expect yeah, you know, I think that this is really a, tied to the question of what does modern auto retail look like, right? And you've got AutoNation, which is the nation's largest automobile dealership group retailer with over 300 retail points of presence for their franchise dealerships. And then they've got AutoNation USA superstores, which are all used car. Um, we don't They're have, a partner, right? They're, they're our partner. And so we're going to be scaling into that entire network over the next six to 12 months. The way we're rolling out is we're launching our first store here in the next couple of weeks in Torrance, California. And we're actually gonna start to work out all of our systems, our protocols, so that we make sure that before we hit scale, we can scale in a way that's efficient for them, efficient for us. But this is really about integration systems engineering, right? It's about placing a 23,000 car order, talking to every OEM about when the heck they can produce these cars, talking to all of our debt providers about financing the cash flow of all of the payment for these cars, and then the delivery and landing and prep and integration and activation of all those uh, customers. I would imagine it's gonna be six to 12 months for us to be completely nationwide. But if you go to autonomy.com, you're gonna see how that's gonna roll out in real time. But before the end of the year, we imagine we're gonna be not just in California, but in about four different states. And we are definitely choosing the markets where there are more EV registrations than other markets. We're, we're trying to follow consumer preference for going electric in our first launch markets. Well, just to give you a view from the street here in Princeton, not you know, in our little bubble, it's 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 absolutely amazing the the uptake for for electric vehicles here. And and so you know, New Jersey doesn't necessarily seem like a leader in a lot of things, but but in this area, I mean, it's you should take us seriously. Which competitors do you worry most about, Scott, before we let you go? You know, I, I don't think that McDonald's worries about Burger King. I think that anything <laughs> going to create more demand for electric is a good thing. We're moving into a huge, huge market. Um, you know, we're sort of rowing out to sea for a drop of water. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's such a big market that I, I think we are going to see a lot more optionality for consumers in terms of how you pay for cars. I think subscriptions are going to be something that almost every manufacturer has to do. Uh, we don't expect to be alone by any stretch, uh, but all of that's just going to validate our market and help us to grow. Um, I, I, I'm not worried about competition per se. I think that when you're innovating, you're doing something, you got to be unique. Um, we are doing something that nobody else is really doing at a scale that nobody else is doing it. So we certainly right now feel very good about innovating, but we don't want to be a lonely pioneer. Uh, lonely pioneers usually hit the wall at some point. And so uh, I think for us, we want to be very sensible about how we grow. It is important that, you know, even though this is a new product, it's profitable from car one. That isn't a normal thing in the car business. In any business, you know, I mean, that, that's not a normal thing. And 
certainly any startup business or even any young business, it's it's kind of a it, it ends up being a real shocker. And I, I certainly look at, at all the, the driverless mobility um, um, operations that are out there and, and Fred and I comment on those, my goodness, all that investment and, and no revenue. Uh, now, if you have, um, you know, a lot of money being spent, no revenue, you have to, you know, roll your eyes a little bit, don't you? I'll, I'll give you just, I mean, this is a very capital efficient business in a non-intuitive way. Um, we, we deploy on average $50,000 when we buy a car. We borrow that money as debt. Right. In order to borrow that money, we have to unlock it with a down payment, just like anybody else, so a little bit of skin in the game. Our advance rate goes anywhere from you know, 90% to 98%. So we have to put up either 2% or 10% worst case of the car's value. That means we've got to put up somewhere between $505,000 and $5, to get into these cars. Right. Um, when we do that, we generate about 25% of the value of the car in year one subscription revenue. And subscription revenue for us is two things. It's basically start fees amortized over that 90 day term mm -hmm. and monthly payments. That combination generates for us about 25%, meaning in year one, we, we see about $13,000 of real subscription revenue come into the business against a $50,000 loan that is a positive contribution margin event that looks like about 18%, but we've got to do all the gnarly stuff. We've got to handle title, registration, maintenance, repair. All of these things are the sort of reasons why owning a car is just so frustrating and intimidating for most people. And our belief is that great companies not only solve a problem, but deliver great value. And for most people, solving that in a bundled manner that's all on your phone is a huge, huge value. So uh, it's it's one of those cases where it is a win-win. Yes, we make money, but we make money because we're also in this really interesting phenomenon period where when when we buy one of these cars, they're worth more the day we buy them. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and you're taking advantage of that and and you you can you can let's say unleash that that value capture to your benefit where the individual can't do it for for him or herself. That's right. And and partnerships like AutoNation mean that, you know, if you think about the average, and I've, I've been trying to innovate, making buying a car easier for most of my adult life. Yeah, anyways, we, yes, one, congratulations on that. Yeah. If there's one problem that's worse than buying a car, it's selling the car when you're done. If you ask what really intimidates car owners, it's the selling of the car when you're done with it. They all have to you know, think about, God, how am I going to turn into a car dealer? I got to have people that I don't know come into my house. What's the right paperwork? How do I do my payoff? It is just a hugely intimidating problem and unfortunately most of us just end up trading in our car and getting hosed and so i think the um uh, the idea uh, that we've taken all of that off the table and said why would we force 20 year olds who are going to get the worst interest rate to go into soul crushing debt to buy a depreciating asset that they are totally not qualified to liquidate at the end of the term it's just it's it's absolutely a ridiculous bargain. Uh, and your and, your plan is to bring insurance yeah. into the picture too. Roll that in, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, insurance is, is one of those undeniable costs of mobility. You've got to be insured to put a car on public roads. We cannot put you in the car without insurance. Um, so it's both a pain point and an opportunity to generate revenue. I think the way we think about it is this idea of offering episodic daily auto insurance is so unique. And you can only do it, by the way, if you own the car. Yeah, right. And only do it if you A, own the car and B, the car is fully connected. The fact that we know if the car isn't being driven means we can actually say, 
if you want to save money on insurance, just park the car. Yeah. Yeah. Or if, yeah, or if you're not using it, you get that benefit. Either way, you're unlocking that benefit to the individual and you, you can do that. I, yeah, that. Your last comment was really nasty to me because I don't think I've ever sold a car, believe it or not. I mean, it is the most traumatic thing that I ever run into. I end up giving it away or something or whatever. I mean, it is just, and, and you know, I hate trading them in because I know I'm getting ripped and, and, and therefore... Uh, whatever but but that's 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 my problem but you're absolutely true i mean there there are a certain number of individuals that are like me on that 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 it is it is just it's not pretty and again you have the opportunity to hey uh, provide a service out there where you, where you're making a return and in fact allowing the consumer like me to actually get something back out of that whole process so yes it's it's to me at least to me that that is all real <laughs> Well, congratulations, uh, Scott, on, on the innovation. The website again, boy, that's a great one, autonomy.com. Scott Painter, thanks for spending time with us. Guys, thank you for talking to me. Thank and, you. you know, if you, if you want to have me back, I'd love to come back and tell you how we're doing. We will be back, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, we should point out it's a good idea to read the white paper. It's called The Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Some great information there to help you make informed decisions. And you may know that ETFs can be a smart way to spread risk with investments, maybe focus on a particular category of stocks. The website, again, is MOTOETF.com. We are back with more of Smart Driving Cars. And, uh, Alan, we're going to turn to some headlines We've gotten a great response, by the way, to our last episode with your commentary on Elon Musk's Q&A at the Tesla shareholders meeting. Mm -hmm. For those who haven't watched, we remind you to take a look. It's on the site. This week, uh, Ralph Nader came out urging regulators to recall to recall Tesla's full self-driving vehicles. And uh, I think maybe you have a comment or two about that first off. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Ralph Class of 55, Princeton, I guess we're, we're, we are proud of him. Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, and he was on our podcast. Um, and maybe we should reach out to him again and talk about this. I, I think, I, I think a, a recall is, is probably appropriate. Elon should just pull it. You know, and, and then not, not necessarily and, pull the vehicles. We're talking about the name here primarily, right? Well, no, we're talking about but, but pull the system and then and then reissue it under a different name. Okay. Just reissue it, get avoid that name. I guess, you know, I think Elon's really started to just call it FSD. And who knows what FSD you know stands for, but but it, it's a shame. He needs he needs to separate both autopilot and whatever he has out there in in the driver assistance full self driving or FSD, and just you know I, I don't know go to his customers and do a do a national um, um, uh, outreach to to somebody wanting to sit, suggest a better name for this that is. It is more appropriate to uh, um, uh, what it does, what it really can do, maybe underselling it rather than overselling it. Um, uh, this is, this is, 
I know that anytime you have any news, whether it's good news or bad news, it's good. And certainly, you know, we had somebody who, who was president once who, you know, used that to, to its fullest. Uh, but but this is uh, this has become a distraction, and it's unfortunate. Okay. Meanwhile, uh, there is a California Senate candidate, Dan O'Dowd, who launched a Tesla attack ad that Electric uh, took a look at. They called it a smear campaign. That's inaccurate. Yeah, I mean, it looks like the you know the whole thing is you know a Photoshop job or you know a fake, and it, it's again. Uh, this has turned out to be just a distraction and, and um, you know, change the name, uh, really, uh, just change the name. So the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette has a headline uh, that says, as self-driving car testing drives forward in Pennsylvania, experts and lawmakers turn their eyes to safety regulations. Right. And, and everybody's looking at safety regulation. It, to me, that, you know, part of the issue is, is that is, is the mixing of, of two technologies here, the, the driver assistant piece in which you remain in control and, and overseeing the vehicle and, and the, the opportunity to provide a high quality mobility uh, because you, you can decouple um, the, the continuous labor cost of an attendant having to be in the vehicle, whether the vehicle is moving or not moving. You know, part of the key of being able to provide mobility as a service is that maybe the, the vehicle waits for the customer uh, and then takes them. And, and of course, you know, if you have to have a, 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 a driver and attendant in board, on board, then there's somebody on the clock <coughs> sitting there and waiting. <coughs> and the person on the clock there, you know, that's, that just costs money. They deserve to be paid. Whereas, uh, you know, this thing, uh, it, you know, it's in volume, it's essentially free. So that's the real opportunity that's given by having a, a computer drive this. And, and to say that, and to continue to, to think that, that, that the driverless aspect is something to enhance safety, I, I think is, is again, um, misrepresenting the technology. It's not that it, it's making it less safe, it's a, you know, to focus that, that it's in some sort of really improvement on safety. The greatest safety improvement of having a computer drive your car instead of me having to drive it is that the computer won't misbehave the way I misbehave driving a car. What makes me unsafe is, is, is my misbehavior in, 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 the, in, in the opportunity that's been given to me to, to drive and, and have that mobility. And, 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 you know, and, and when I don't misbehave, I am a darn good driver. And to think that a computer is going to do anything better than that is like, cut it out. I am really good. And all the discussion about, you know, human involvement being in 90 some percent of the crash, it's not human involvement, it's human misbehavior, which includes, you know, too much of this, too much of, of this, which includes too much of that, too much of that, too much of this. You know, you can go out and name them. Right. And, and, and this thing, 
doesn't have any of those attributes. Now, yes, it does get a blue screen every once in a while, maybe. But my goodness, you know, we're at a point where we can write this stuff. So the probability of a blue screen is like really close to zero, real close to zero. So that's where that's a, that is fundamental safety improvement. But then to go out and say it, some regulation, it has to be better than me when I'm sitting there paying attention and using all of this. I still have some. Some of you may not think so, but I still do have some. <laughs> Cut it out. This this report in the uh, Pittsburgh uh, Post Gazette also mentions uh, Argo AI and uh, their formation of an independent safety council which they announced uh, last week to monitor uh, the company's practices. Well, I, you know, I thought in some sense, I thought that was NHTSA or something like that, but you know, there could be other independent, we should have um, a good housekeeping seal of approval, you know, type of thing. We've been saying that for years in which all the folks that are working on this cooperate to make the system safer instead of competing. So that they want to, when they find something that, hey, needs to be fixed, they tell everybody, look, hey, in case you didn't run into this one, you know, pay attention to this one, as opposed to, oh, no, we figured this one out. We're going to save it for ourselves. Go that far and do that. And, and PAVE is supposed to be doing that, supposedly, aren't they? Not, not the Princeton PAVE, the other PAVE. <laughs> I have my own. Hey, I thought I had the one. Never mind. <laughs> a couple of members of the House of Representatives, Alan, meanwhile, are reviving legislative efforts to uh, on, on self-driving vehicles. Uh, Robert Latta, Republican, Debbie Dingell, a Democrat, uh, told Reuters that they're unveiling the Bipartisan Congressional Autonomous Vehicle Caucus to help educate fellow lawmakers on the importance of self-driving vehicles. And working to revive legislation here. Look at the names they're using. Autonomous, self-driving. Who knows what those are? Level two, level four, level 8.6, level 22.9. I mean, you know, we have a problem with FSD. We have a problem with autopilot. Look at the problem we have. Are they talking about providing driverless mobility so somebody, you know, some poor person in Trenton can get to his or her job at the Robbinsville Amazon facility, you know, on the on the third shift on time? Are they talking about a system that's going to help me so that I can, you know, be more comfortable and, and whatever in my da? Which one are they talking about? They're different. And I don't think the regulation, the way you need to deal with these things are one fits all. No. So tell us, please, what are you talking about? Oh, my goodness. You know, I sat through some talks last week and, you know, people were talking about uh, about having focus groups and asking people's comments and and you know and they said i don't know what the title was but in the end they, they i sort of asked what it was and the person wanted to tell me it was it was like an automated uh, uber x service and i said well why didn't you call it automated uber x maybe somebody would you know at least you know you're relating something somebody might know something about 
Instead, they called it who knows what connected in whatever the, the idea is. Somebody that, you know, must have rolled their eyes. And I asked some questions about some, you know, some maybe, you know, uh, bias in, 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 in terms of their who they, they were asking these questions. Some sample bias. You know, it seemed like, you know, unless you had a PhD in, in autonomy, you wouldn't understand what the heck they were talking about. That wasn't that bad, but it, you know, did they really talk about folks who need, talk to folks who need mobility to improve their quality of life? Or are they talking about folks that have, you know, stable, who knows how many cars and, and on an expense account and whatever, and have uh, other objectives in life? Sounds more like that if they were talking UberX, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, even, you know, well, anyway, you know, it's not only Elon that has a problem with terminology. I mean, this whole, I mean, it's bad enough that we're sitting here with smart driving cars. I mean, you know, maybe we're adding to the problem uh, and wanting to call instead of robo-taxi, taxi, uh, autonomous taxis or A-taxis or... What is it that people are talking about? Please define it. And 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 again, I, I the things that we're talking about, the way I tried to bring it across is it's 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 elevator service horizontally, and it's not that you know it's going to be in a shaft. But, you know, it's just going to get you from A to B. Well, Elon is no. Elon wants it to be in an underground shaft. Yeah, well, Elon sort of he wants it to be underground too. And yeah, okay, hey, if we can dig, if we can dig tunnels for zero cost, as as we mentioned in the last in the last smart driving cars e letter. My goodness, there, so many of our highways have separated communities because they had to be on the ground or on these elevated structures that just totally destroy everything they go through. Boy, if we could sweep them under the rug and put them underground. I mean, for years we've been talking about this. You know, we didn't build a section of I-95, you know, up through from Ewing up to 287, which was where I-95 was supposed to be. We've now redesignated part of the New Jersey Turnpike as I-95 so that we can have I-95 go from Florida to Maine and whatever. The, the reason we, we didn't build that section that was out there for so long was because because people who, who lived out there happened to have some influence. I think I think the Forbes family owned a lot of money. I don't know if they really, but you know, I sort of recall from that time. There's no way you're gonna build a road on the surface there. It would have destroyed all that bucolic farmland that exists there in that central New Jersey part. Nobody's gonna let you do that. It would have had to go through the the president's house of uh, president of educational testing service. I mean, they were everybody's lined up to not let that happen. I had the audacity at the time to say, "Hey, why don't we just put the whole thing underground?" Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to do boring before there there was a boring company, but actually, you know, we we did need a connector from the top of two ninety five there, uh, just north of Trenton to two eighty seven. But we didn't want to destroy all the all the land that's there and create a, you know another interchange where you have you know Walmart here and who knows what home to pot there and you know, who knows what and who knows what. 
Put it underground. Get it there. Get the people that are going through to be, you know, not ruining everything that they're going through. And we have, we have in, in around the city of Trenton, Route 29, I mean, just killed the city as 129, which is probably one of the, you know, most dangerous roads because some pedestrians actually try to cross it because they want to get from one community to the next walking. It's not pretty. But the yeah. So we need the boring companies. So I'm saying I agree with them. Yeah. Whether or not you, you get there, we'll wait and see. And even more importantly, here in New Jersey, we've got to build two, two new tunnels going to Manhattan for our railroad. Long, you know what? There's long delayed. Long, long delayed, and maybe you know, fifteen billion dollars worth, and, and really needs to be done. You know, we have another major whatever, uh, you know, weather uh, event that does some more damage to those things. All of a sudden, you 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 sever that railroad at that point. I mean, we're in a heap of trouble. We're just in a heap of trouble. So come on, Elon, get out here, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we love you to dig. I mean, yeah, we love you to be able to put out there, you know, hey, you want to make, you, 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 you want to uh, you know, totally deploy everywhere robo-taxis or yeah, we'll let you call them robo-taxis. I prefer autonomous taxis, A-taxis. Yeah, let's do it. We have, we have communities in Jersey that want to do it and that they're realistic about it and want to do it in the small, not the large. And it turns out in the small, you can help the, the most needy people the most and prove the darn thing where, where it's easy, not indefinitely hard. And it doesn't have to be done every day. I mean, as I keep saying, in New Jersey, we have, you know, 350 good days a year that the technology will, will work. You do this for us in Jersey for 350 days, we're going to be very happy for you. I would suspect that San Francisco would be very happy if it was done for them for 350 days a year. You know, the idea that it has to be 365.25 everywhere, da, da, de, da, 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 at all speeds from zero to who knows what miles per hour, cut it out. Anyway. Watch this space. More to come. More to come. So we want to thank Scott Painter from Autonomy for spending time with us. Uh, the website, once again, is autonomy.com. Thank you to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs. Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. And more info is available at MOTOETF.com. Technical support is provided by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. You can get your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching. Please stay safe. And continue to have a great summer. <laughs>